you got your Bibles, pull them out. We're going to be in Psalm 23 today. Uh, actually, today we are starting our Summer Psalms series. Uh, there are 150 Psalms in the Bible, and, and that means uh, this summer we're actually going to do 12 of them. And uh, John and Travis and I will all be uh, preaching on a different variety of Psalms. And, and really that means if we can do 12 a summer every year, we will get through the Psalms by the year 2028. So look forward to that. Uh, halfway through the summer even that year. Uh, the only exception to the preaching of the Psalms this summer is, is next week where there's a, a pastor from out in Olathe that's coming out to preach for us named Paul Reynolds. He's uh, over at New Hope Presbyterian Church there. And uh, I'll be actually on a trail riding through Missouri on a bike all week. That's a hard place to prepare a sermon, so that's why. Uh, so anyway, we're starting today with really what's one of the most well-known passages in all of Scripture, um, Psalm 23. These six verses are uh, so familiar to just about everyone that you can ask someone who knows nothing about Christianity and they generally have an idea uh, of Psalm 23. It's kind of like Amazing Grace. It, it kind of has this place just in general popular culture. Uh, I can remember years ago when George W. Bush was uh, seeking to comfort the nation after the 9-11 attacks. Uh, he actually quoted from this psalm in, in the, the very short speech he gave that evening. Uh, this is a passage that uh, is read at almost every funeral for comfort. And it belongs at funerals, but it also belongs in every other moment of our life where we need to be comforted by God. Uh, which means this is what we need for every day of our life, um, <clears throat> every day which, which God graciously gifts us with, uh, with beating hearts and breathing lungs and just life. Uh, and so... Uh, this book, uh, the book of Psalms, we've been showing you how to get to places just in case. Psalms is the easiest of all. Just open up to the middle, voila, you're there. Um, so go ahead and do that. Find Psalm 23. It's short. We'll read the whole thing to start with, and, and then we'll get into it. <clears throat> Psalm 23. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. For you are with me, your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. And I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. The grass withers and the flower fades. Let's pray. O oh God in heaven, have mercy on us. Lord Jesus Christ, preserve in us true, genuine faith. Collect your scattered sheep who hear your voice, your holy word. Teach us to recognize your voice. Teach us to rightly discern the, the madness of the world so that we may never fall away from you who lovingly shepherd us. And now we ask that you would comfort us with your word today. We ask this in the name of our, our Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. So I have what would be considered, or what I consider rather, a, a rational fear of flying. I know Danielle has the same rational fear that I have. It's rational because it makes um, no sense that a building weighing about 800,000 pounds should be able to fly through the sky simply because someone has strapped some wings and a few engines onto it. Um, and 
I know, people tell me all the time that really driving in a car is a lot safer than, than riding in a, tr in a, in a plane. And, and yet I think through that and I think if my car breaks down, I can pull over to the side of the road on the shoulder and things are okay. Um, if my plane breaks down, there is no shoulder to, to pull over on. Um, also, people tell me tons of people, uh, they know tons of people, or rather I know tons of people who have survived car wrecks, but I don't know a single person who has survived a plane wreck. Uh, and I tell you this because I want you to know that I legitimately have a fear of flying. Um, and, and so I have to battle this not irrational in any way fear that is, is going on in my head whenever I get on a plane. And, and the way that I do that is to open up to Psalm 23. I've done it for as long as I can remember. When I, when I board a plane, I actually find my seat and, and I get out my Bible and I open up to Psalm 23, uh, which is why an iPad is no good for me in this situation. Uh, and I begin to just read it quietly. I begin to read it in my head, and, and I pray, and then I read it again. And, and I think about each line, and I think about just the sovereignty of, of God in this, and I think about eternity, and I think about how, how the comfort of the gospel in, in this situation and on a, it, it carries on into eternity. Um, and what I find is it does absolutely nothing to convince me that the plane won't wreck. I'm still just as certain that's going to happen every time I get on a plane. What it does is, is build my confidence that it's okay if it does. And so as we speed down the runway and this plane's about to take off, these, these words which have been a comfort to God's people for thousands of years are running through my mind and comforting me. And so you know that if I ever die in a plane wreck, you know the very last thing that went through my thoughts, which was, I knew this was going to happen. <laughs> really though, my hope today is that the more you understand Psalm 23, the more you're going to be comforted by what God has revealed about himself in this passage and how his goodness is a comfort to us. So let's look a little closer at this. Verse 1, uh, it reads, The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. You might notice there in, in your Bibles that the word Lord is in all capitals, all uppercase letters. See, when the letters are lowercase, it means that the Hebrew word Adonai is being translated and and Adonai means master or the owner or something along that, that lines. However, when the letters are all capital like we have here, it means that the Hebrew name Yahweh, Yahweh is being translated. And Yahweh is God's covenant name. Uh, this is a name that was first revealed to Moses at the burning bush. Um, and it literally is translated, I am who I am which sounds a little confusing at first. I am who I am. What it's conveying is this, this sense of external, um, eternal existence, uh, of absolute self-sufficiency. And I, uh, it tells us that everyone is dependent upon God, and yet here God is dependent upon nobody, no one. And see, after we learn this, this covenant name in Exodus 3, the name shows up in the pages of the Old Testament over 4,000 times from that point on. And I tell you that because we need to feel the weight of this, uh, this statement that we're reading here. Yahweh is my shepherd. See, we don't typically understand why that's even a strange statement. Um, you got to understand, though, that shepherding was not a sought-after job. It's considered the lowest of all works that someone might be doing at this time period. It was gross. It could be frustrating. It required long periods of time being alone out in the wilderness with nothing but these sheep. And so it was a lonely responsibility. Um, and in fact, think about it. 
one of the most well-known shepherds in, in all of Scripture. You know, who was the shepherd in Jesse's family? It was David, who, of course, had eight older brothers. Uh, you know, one thing you know in every family is that the, the youngest is the bottom of the totem pole. Uh, that's kind of where it is. I was the youngest. I know this. Um, in fact, when my brothers and I were out adventuring, every time we'd come upon these electric fences, maybe you've seen them, it was always my job to touch the fence to find out, is it on? Um, surely we could have come up with a better way, but, but being the youngest, that was my job. Uh, and that's why, even as we look at this in Scripture, the youngest tended to be the shepherds. It was a, a hand-me-down job. No one else wanted it, so the youngest was stuck with it. Um, shepherdings, though, as we see, is, is gross, it's lonely, it's a low position, lacking honor, and yet here we see God, in his word, being referred to as a shepherd. See, it would make sense if we said, Yahweh is my king, or Yahweh is my warrior, or even Yahweh is my God, but Yahweh is my shepherd? See, that's a surprise. It's a, it's a picture, though, of God caring for us and protecting us. And the other side of that picture is seeing us as relatively, you know, smelly, stupid animals as, as sheep. But understand this, God didn't become our shepherd because he was the longest, youngest child or because he drew the short straw. He rather chose to be our shepherd. So having learned that the God of the universe calls himself our shepherd, we then learn what that actually means. The psalmist says, I shall not want. See, the focus of the word want in this passage is not the idea of, of desiring, but, but rather the idea of not lacking something we actually need. Uh, the point is, is that those who trust God like a sheep trust a shepherd, is, is not, uh, they will not lack what is needed, which is quite a statement considering just how helpless creatures sheep generally are. Uh, Jesus also in Matthew 6, 31 through 32, shares how God will provide for his children with, with what is needed. He says, uh, Christ says, Therefore do not be anxious, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you all need them. We also saw in Philippians last fall, as we were working through that book, just the, um, the abundance of, of God's provision for his people. Philippians 4.19 tells us, uh, And my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. And so we see that God is providing. Verse 2 then tells us that our shepherd God provides again. He continues on. It reads, He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me besides still waters. I love how this psalm begins with, with rest. I don't know if you noticed that upon first reading. I, I love that it begins with rest, though, because the Christian life also begins with resting in the gospel of Christ. Resting because Christ has accomplished everything for us. Yes, there will be much for us to do in the Christian life, but it begins with resting in what Christ has done for us. Uh, it's what we see in Ephesians 2, 8 through 10, the well-known text. Uh, sure, even this text ends with, with a call to action, but it begins with resting in Jesus who redeems us by grace through faith. Ephesians verse, uh, 2, 8, and 8 through 10 reads, For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. <clears throat> it is the gift of God, not a result of works so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. 
And so we begin with this resting. And here we, we see this picture of the sheep actually lying down in a green pasture. Uh, when I read this, I tend to picture something like the Cons of Prairie. If you go out this time of year, it's, it's beautiful. It looks like what you imagine Ireland to look like. Lush, green, rolling hills. Um, but have you ever seen the pictures of the actual Bible land where this is talking about? Um, you don't see lush, green, rolling hills. Uh, they're not lush, they're not green. In fact, they're, they're dry, rocky hills with these sparse patches of green or grass here and there. Uh, and, and, you know, when you look at this, this land in the Middle East, it's uh, very difficult to find green pasture land, like we tend to picture this. And yet, here we are seeing the Good Shepherd providing for them. Uh, did you also see that the, the shepherd is doing the work? The shepherd leads them to green pastures. The shepherd makes them to lie down. See, sheep don't lay down while they eat. I, I tend to, that was an interesting thing for me. I'm used to big old dogs that just lay on the ground and stick their face in the bowl and go to town. Sheep don't work that way. Uh, they lay down when they feel safe and when they've eaten to their satisfaction. See, these sheep are content. They're content living under the, the shepherding care of this loving shepherd. The second half of verse 2 says, He leads me besides still water, or besides still waters. See, this isn't just a, a peaceful image. Uh, it, it's again about the provision of our Lord for us. See, the sheep will not drink from running water. It's another one of those quirky, weird things about them. Uh, really, it's because they're very sheepish. There's an actual term to explain the way they respond um, that uses their name. And so there is a, a reason that that term exists, and it's because they are so easily frightened by things. And, and even a babbling stream coming by will, will frighten the sheep. They won't drink from it. Um, and, and so that since they won't drink from these natural streams, it's uh, part of what the, the shepherd actually does is to, to dig out a little trench next to the river. And the water from the stream will fill up that trench, and it creates what is a still water, water that is not running. It's from that area that the sheep will actually drink the water from, the water that they need for survival. And so you see, this is the, the picture that, that even Christ paints in Matthew eleven twenty eight 28, when he says, Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. And so under the care of our shepherd, uh, our shepherd God, our needs are satisfied, and we lay down. We rest. Verse 3 begins with one of the most comforting lines in, in this psalm. It says, He restores my soul. When I read that, it almost draws out this, this sigh after you say it. He restores my soul. And you just kind of want to rest there. This is truly a beautiful statement that, that speaks to how well our shepherd knows what we need. See, this is also a Hebrew idiom. It's a, it, means, uh, it can mean to bring us to repentance. That's why we read in Psalm 19.7, The law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. That's the same Hebrew word there, restoring the soul. You see, God's word not only shows our sin, but shows us the grace of God, which in the children of God will bring about repentance. And that repentance is absolutely soul-restoring. Uh, to taste the forgiveness is nourishing, no matter how big or how small the sins that we might be dealing with are. And that's why this psalm itself is so comforting, so restorative to us. It's a reminder that God is a good shepherd, that 
We can turn from our self-reliance, our self-striving, our failures, our endless exhaustion, and just rest under his shepherding care. Not because we're perfect sheep, but, but, but because we are his sheep. Verse 3 also says, He leads me besides paths of righteousness. See, speaking in terms of shepherding, this is the path that gets you where you need to go. When sheep do their own thing, they wander off where there is no water, where there is no food, where there are wolves who can hurt them. And many of us really need to consider this. We need to consider where we are currently and, and look at our great shepherd to guide us on the proper path. And too often we want to tell our shepherd that we, we know better. Uh, we want to tell him that we're certain that right over that hill there, I am absolutely certain there are greener, greener pastures. And we've got to remember, we've got to understand that our, our shepherd already knows what's down that path. He knows if that path will lead to ruin. And we need the guidance that God gives us um, in his word. And that means we've got to stop doing things our own way and instead follow the wise and loving shepherd who we know cares for us. That last phrase in verse 3 tells us why God leads us in paths of righteousness. It says, for his, his namesake. See, this is more wonderful than you might realize at first. God's gracious shepherding is built upon his own character. It's a pledge according to his own name. And in 1 Samuel 12, 22, <clears throat> we learn something else God does for the sake of his name. There we read, For the Lord will not forsake his people for his great namesake. Because it has pleased the Lord to make you a people for himself. You see, for the sake of God's own name, he will not forsake his children. Also in Psalm 31, 4, 3 and 4, we read something similar in our, our, our text, that's similar to our text today. It says, For you are my rock and my fortress, and listen to this, for your name's sake you lead me and guide me. You take me out of the net they have hidden from me, for you are my refuge. So he leads us in paths of righteousness so that our, name, so that our lives will reflect the glory of his name. Uh, let's consider verse 4. Look at it with me. <clears throat> Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. For you are with me, your rod and your staff, they comfort me. See, the, the first half of this um, are actually the opening words of, of Coolio's song, Gangster's Paradise. Any of you admit to actually knowing this song? One, two, okay. Um, only there's a huge difference here. When Coolio uses this, uh, there's no presence of God. He only uses that first line of it. And, and so there's no comfort. Fear remains. Uh, and in fact, the song comes to this depressing conclusion. And so while I love the beat that Coolio has, I am so thankful that the Word of God shows a better understanding uh, of what it means to live under God as our good and loving and mighty shepherd. See, since this psalm is so often read at, at funerals, we tend to think this phrase, the valley of the shadow of a death, we tend to think that is death itself. Uh, really, it's, it's a picture of the shepherd leading the sheep through the, the deep and rugged trenches in Israel's wilderness. Um, the valley is called the shadow of death because there was very little water. There was very little food. It was difficult to find out there. It was dry. The heat was, was relentless. And away from the cities, there were wolves and, and other humans that might pose a threat. There were so many things out there that were reasonable for people to fear. And, and yet, here we read the psalmist say that he does not fear. You notice that the psalmist switches here from talking about, about God in the third person. 
he leads me. Uh, to talking about God in the second person. He says, I will fear no evil because you are with me. It's not that God has removed the evils that we fear, but rather that the presence of God gives us confidence because we know that he can protect us. It's like when a young child is afraid of the darkness and a, uh, <clears throat> her father picks her up and comforts her. Even while the darkness remains, just the presence of the father removes that fear. That fear in their hearts because <clears throat> we believe he can protect us. It's just as true for all of us who are children of God, no matter what our age is in this life. See, we stop fearing what might happen. What might happen in regards to finances or health or parenting or careers or relationships or airplanes and everything else when we, <clears throat> when we rest in the mighty presence of our shepherd. You see, I want you to notice also here that, that just as green pastures and just as still waters are paths that God has led them on, so also is this, the valley of the shadow of death. Uh, what this walk through the valley does is teach the sheep to find comfort in, in God. And, and so don't fall into this mentality that thinks that uh, when things are, are easy, that that's God's will, and when things are scary, that that must not be God's will. Uh, some of the scariest moments and places in our lives can be places <clears throat> that teach us what it means to rest in the care of God, our shepherd. So now I want you to to see another unexpected statement here in verse 4, he continues uh, speaking in the second person to God, and he says, Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. And sure, rods and staff are, are a comfort because they protect us from the enemy, but they also comfort for reasons beyond that. See, both are, are objects of, of discipline, uh, of, of shepherding. Um, you know, one of the ways you could translate this, we could, is this... Uh, it's like saying, your spanking spoon comforts me. <laughs> or your grounding comforts me. Or whatever it is. Your discipline comforts me. And that sounds like an absolutely insane statement. But really, they comfort because they show the shepherd, in this case God, is committed to keeping me from wandering off, from straying. He's committed to bring me back when I wander away or when I run from him. And, and I'll, you know, I'll tell you, when I was uh, in the sixth grade, my parents divorced, and after that I lived with my mother. She had about 100,000 things going on and was busy. Um, and, and the result of that was she really didn't care what I did one way or the other. Uh, I'd go to a friend's house and stay the night as a junior hire without telling her and could come back with no questions asked. And, and that was kind of the way it, it was. It was rare that she ever asked anything. In fact, um, I could get detention, and she'd never even know about it. She didn't read my report card. Uh, basically, I, I lived through these years with no discipline, none. And my friends thought I had the coolest life ever. That's what they wanted. They wanted to live the life I was living, but I didn't want to live that life. Not, not even then. It's not just looking back, even at the time, because I, I wanted what they had. I, I wish that my mother had the rod and the staff, because really that would confirm she cared. Um, and that meant a lot. See, the rod and the staff of our shepherd God comforts because it confirms that he cares about us. It confirms he will shepherd us in the way that we need shepherding, not just in the way that we want shepherding. In these last two verses, then, the image shifts. It shifts from the experience of a sheep under a shepherd to the image of a, a human being welcomed by a gracious host who's God. 
Uh, verse 5 says, You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemy. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. To accept someone in your home as a guest at this time meant you assumed responsibility for their safety while they were with you. Uh, to be at the table of the Lord then implies this, this fellowship. It implies this communion with God under his care. It's, it's like we'll experience at the Lord's Supper when we participate in a little while. Um, these verses then are these, these images of, of God's protection and hospitality towards us. And, and to be fair, it's a strange picture. My enemies are, are here and they're before me and you prepare a dinner table? See, if my enemies are standing before me, what I think I want is for you to stand in front of me with a sword or something you know, more powerful than that if you have it. Um, I want you to go gather an army and be ready to fight for me. But instead, God says he sets a table. See, that's because we're his guests. We're, he takes responsibility for us. He feeds us. He heals our wounds. He fills up our cup. Now, even more is the fact here that <clears throat> your place at his table confirms that if they attack you, they attack God. It's that feeling you get when you're out with a friend who's a beast, huge, and you kind of get that sense, no one's going to mess with me today because he's with me. Um... Only in, in the human world, there's always someone else that's more beast than your friend, so really you're not all that safe. Um, and that's the way it goes. But with God, there's no one even close to as powerful. And we're sitting at his table. We're with him. And the second part of the verse speaks to times of peace as well as hospitality. Both olive oil and wine, were uh, they took time to produce. There was a long process through it. And so during times of turmoil or, or, or war, production was halted. There was no time for that. But in times of peace, oil and wine were available in abundance. And so we see the image there of, of the peace, of the prosperity even. Um, there are also signs of, of hospitality. When a visitor would arrive at someone's home, they were given oil which seems weird to us. If you give me oil, I have no idea what I'm supposed to do with it. Uh, but they traveled out. It was hot. Their skin would dry. They would take the oil and actually place it on their face. Uh, it was what they did. Uh, wine was also given. It's the same way you might offer someone a drink when they come to your house today. Uh, and so these are signs of the hospitality of God. Verse 6 then points to the confidence the psalmist has in God. It reads, Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. What we're seeing here is the relentless pursuit of God for his people. His goodness, his mercy, his home becomes our home as we come to dwell in the presence of, of our God. Uh, in fact, Jesus says something very similar in John 14, 2 and 3. He says, In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, I would not have told you that. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and I will take you to myself. And there I am, where I am, you may be also. So before we close, I, I want us to step back a little from this psalm. Psalm, psalm 23 begins with these, these sheep resting. But rest was not a constant. The sheep also travel through the valley of the shadow of death. And, and neither peaceful resting nor going through a difficult place are constants in this psalm. And they're not constants in our life. In fact, the only constant within this psalm and within our own lives is that it is God uh, who is present, the presence of God. It's God who leads in paths of righteousness. It's God who makes them 
lie down satisfied in green pastures. It's God who provides them still waters for refreshment. It's God who is with them as they travel through the valley of the shadow of death. It's God who provides a table and oil for their heads and wine for their cups. It is the house of God which serves as an eternal home. See, the one comforting constant is this presence of God. And so it shouldn't surprise us at all that God's plan to save sinners required the presence of Christ, his presence with us in human form. And so I guess it, it shouldn't surprise us then that Jesus often compares himself to a shepherd. And not just a shepherd, but the good shepherd. In John 10, that <clears throat> it's in John 10 that Jesus refers to himself as the good shepherd. There we also learn that he feeds us, that he knows us by name, that his yoke is easy, that his sheep know his voice. And even more, <clears throat> though we learn that, that Christ, even, even more though is this, that we learn that Christ, our good shepherd, what he does for us. In John 10, 14 through 16, he says this, he says, I am the good shepherd. I know my own and my own know me. Just as a father knows me and I know the father and I lay down my life for the sheep and I have other sheep that are not of this fold, I, I must bring them also and they will listen to my voice so there will be one flock and one shepherd. See, it's because Jesus does lay down his life for us that we are truly sheep in his flock. Uh, the other sheep he refers to is, is anyone who's not Jewish. It's Gentiles, as Scripture calls them. Uh, that's most of us. Uh, Christians, Christians rest today in this truth that you are a sheep in the flock of Christ. Uh, rest in the care of the good shepherd who has laid down his life for you. And see, church, we need to know God's role in our lives, the way he serves. He's our prophet, he is our priest, he is our king, our, our savior, and our Lord. But we should also know him as our, our shepherd, our shepherd who leads and defends, who gives us water and leads us into green pastures, who restores our soul, who leads us along these paths of righteousness, protects us when he leads us through the wilderness. And we need to know our shepherd so we can find rest, not in the circumstances of our life, but in the presence of our God who has created us and redeemed us by giving his own life 